Please sit upright. Upright means whether you're on a bench or a cushion or a chair to sit uh, so that as much as possible you're sitting on your sits bones and your spine is relatively straight without being stiff or tight and that uprightness goes from the base of the spine all the way through the back of the neck. So when it goes through the back of the neck, the chin is slightly tucked generally, tucked downward, not upward. There you go, you're getting there. Psychot, tuck your check in just a little. Yeah, yeah, good. And then, of course, letting go of any extra holding, tightness, tension that you might be feeling anywhere in your body. Really, from the crown of your head all the way to the tips of your toes, you can slowly scan your body. And just feel anything that's can be relaxed simply, easily, whether it's your jaw or your tongue, or letting the eyeballs, the eyes themselves be relaxed, soft. And the shoulders, And the belly, letting the belly be very relaxed, very full. The hips. The legs. And we'll include both arms. Letting your arms and hands be relaxed. Or as relaxed as possible.
It's all his end, I imagine. Yeah. You're muted. Thank you. I guess I'm very quiet when I'm muted. So continuing with the body and any of the phenomena that uh, displays itself when we're alive, the body being warm or cool, and the body moving quite organically as we simply feel the life of the body as we sit here, wherever the movement of our life's breath. <clears throat> and staying very close, very intimate with the aliveness that's sitting here in the body. Whether it's a simple vibration or pulsation of the body or the body breathing. the first foundation of mindfulness in order to establish a sense of being here, a sense of being present, a sense of starting to unify our heart and mind and body here in this moment with the liveness that's sitting in your seat Of course, it doesn't mean everything else will stop. There'll still be sounds, my voice, sounds in your room or your house, or some feelings or emotions or thoughts. For the moment, you can let those all be in the background. Really give yourself to being mindful of the body sitting here, breathing.
and you have the option, you could stay with the body and the breath if you wish, if you want to get more centered, grounded, present here in that way. Or if you feel composed, collected, you can open the space of awareness to be aware of whatever is predominant whether it's the thinking mind or the feeling heart or other sensations in the body. Or other states of consciousness which may appear. See what it's like to be aware of, not just identified with anything. Being aware of the feelings or moods or emotions which may arise all on their own. Or being aware of the display of thought, memory, ideas, beliefs, projections that also appear all on their own. And the same for the sounds and the smells or any taste that might be here. or any states of consciousness which may arise, sense of openness or peace or calm or clarity or simplicity, whatever comes Whatever's here, can we simply be aware and rest in the awareness in which all things are known? Whether it's the breath or the tightness in the knees or the sense of relaxation in the torso or the openness of heart and mind. Being aware of whatever's here, body, heart, mind, and beyond. And of course, it's always fine in a very relaxed way to turn attention, be aware of what it is that's aware awareness itself that we're not doing. Staying very present, very here, moment by moment by moment, very intimate with the life that's sitting in your seat now.
again, good evening, everybody. I have a few announcements before the talk. Um, I won't be here next week. Devin Haze will be here uh, on the 7th. Devin uh, was here with her partner, Craig, who they've written a book called How Not to Be a Hot Mess, A Survival Guide to Modern Life, really for Buddhists. And uh, so Devin was, they were really warmly received last time and I'm happy she's gonna be back. Um, I just taught with her on the New Year's retreat at Spirit Rock. Uh, yeah, so she'll be here. And then also just to remind you all, we have a new class on Monday at noon, and uh, that's tomorrow at noon. It's a drop-in drop class like all classes at SFI like this um, with Eileen and Nina and Syra and Raul are the four people who are teaching it. And uh, check it out if you want to do, a, I think it's a one-hour class. Is that right, Eileen? Yeah, okay. Yeah, got it. And uh, yeah, for a sitting and uh, talk and some community on Mondays at noon. Um, so uh, as I mentioned last week, I was teaching a retreat the week before on the heavenly messengers. So I thought I would continue to talk about the heaven, heavenly messengers which I said a little bit last week, but I talked a lot about love last week. And what I'd like to do is give a little more context about the heavenly messengers. And, um, um, and I find there's a word, uh, David Dutta, David Dutta, Pali word, David Dutta, which is associated with this story of the Buddha's life, right? Where he, he's a prince, Siddhartha, and he grows up and he's treated quite well as a prince. He's high class and uh, he gets everything he wants and things like that. And, and, it's, and it's said that his parents never let him see any real difficulty. Like they don't even let him see that a flower dies, right? They, they, they have the gardeners, you know, clean the garden so he doesn't have to see any anything get old or ill or die and uh, and of course when he goes out on his own at some point not till he's 29 he's a little he's whatever the opposite of precocious is like he's not like as a teenager i would have think i would have thought he would have gone out and checked out the world but he didn't until he was 29 without uh, being being uh, guarded by his parents. And, um, and he goes out unchaperoned into the world and he sees a sick person and an old person and a uh, corpse. And, uh, and he also sees what's called the shramana. The shramana is a renunciate, both in Pali and, and Sanskrit. And he sees a renunciate with a very radiant face and, and the, first of all, seeing the, the sick people and the old people and then the uh, uh, corpse really shocked him. Each one was a shock. And, um, um, and, and it really um, woke him up to the truth of impermanence. And of course, all of us see that, right? I hope we see it because it's part of the reality of life, 
sickness, old age, death. And even last week, remember, I wasn't supposed to be here, but I was here because uh, our good friend Frank Ossieski was having a problem. Frank had had uh, sickness, illness, right? He'd had a stroke about a year ago now, maybe not quite that long ago. And he was having some kind of residual, residual difficulty or not residual, it's not, that means ongoing more. It was just something happened and he was having a hard time and uh, had to go to the emergency room and he's okay. And I've talked to him a number of times and he seems better and better, whatever it was. It wasn't another stroke. That's what was confusing about it. But it was some, some part of the impact of having had a stroke but he seemed better and better. And I, I didn't talk to him today, but I talked to him probably on Friday and he seemed really uh, like, oh, there he is, there's Franco is there. And uh, so, but, but that's just part of the deal, right? He's had an illness, he's had a difficulty and it's part of the deal if you're human. And Franco uh, thinks he's getting old, even though he's not as old as me. And it, it's true, He's some of us are getting old, like me. And a few of you, I see, you, you, you get in the old realm with me. Most of you don't even, you aren't even there yet, even though you might think you are. Uh, but it's all perspective of, from where we're looking, right? Right, because of course, 40 seems a lot older than 30, and it is. But 50 seems a lot older than 40, and it is. And 60 seems a lot older than 50. Then they, they get, actually, it's not, it's not quite as accurate. 60 doesn't seem that much older, but it's older. It, meaning they get more squished, squished together as we get older again. Then they all seem to say, every year it seems like, oh yeah, it's just older, period. You know, from about 50 on, it's older actually really probably more accurately 60 on. Um, and, but it's just part of the deal for human beings, sickness, old age, death. And of course, all of you have had the good fortune to see the Dharma, right? Which is what, what Prince Siddhartha saw when he left his palace and he walked into the world, he saw someone who was a practitioner. And it really impacted him. He saw not a Buddhist practitioner, but just a renunciate who was uh, uh, practicing. And he could see the radiance in the person's presence, the goodness in the person's presence that was inherent there when we actually land right where we are. We land right here. Wherever we are, there's a goodness. If we can actually land here, we might not always feel like it's a goodness, but it's goodness. There's something good good here. And uh, yeah. And so I was, I was thinking I was gonna talk about death and I will, but I would like to say a few things uh, context wise about death, sickness, old age, death, and the import of that. And of course, you, many of you have heard this, but one of the things that really drew me to practice early on was going to Zen Center because I'd been practicing with a, with a, a guru type person 
who was, you know, who I learned a lot from, but, um, but he, it was, I got kicked out of his group, good to get kicked out of his group. And, and I went to, um, wanted to sit with people because I was sitting a lot. I went to Zen Center and I always loved the sign that called you to practice at Zen Center. And wooden block, you hit the block, you know, boom, I've done this also many times. Right, they bang on the big thick block and the block says, written on it says, great is the matter of birth and death. Great is the matter of birth and death. Life passes swiftly and is quickly lost. Awaken, awaken, do not waste your life. And that caught my attention. And for whatever reason, it really, uh, it hit me. Even just the words on the block, they didn't say them ever. And just recently when I was giving this talk at Heavenly Messengers, I was, uh, I tried to find out, is this a quote? Did somebody say this? And nobody could find, there wasn't any person who said it, but it's a Zen center quote that's used in many Zen centers. Um, and um, there's a companion myth in Buddhism to the four heavenly messengers, right? The four heavenly messengers are, the Buddha goes out, he runs into sickness, old age, death, and he, and it leads him to awakening. It leads him to seek to awaken. And the other myth, and tell me if somebody wave if I read this last week, which I may have, uh, uh, where the Buddha is talking to his friends and he said, uh, and he's telling the story of his life and he's telling it personally to them. And of course, we could all tell the story of our life, which could include how did we get here tonight? Right? What were all the circumstances that got us from wherever we were born, wherever it was in San Francisco or Berkeley or, you know, or in Detroit or New York or in Pittsburgh or in, you know, wherever it was, San Diego or, you know, Las Vegas, who knows where any of you were born? I don't know. Uh, you know, I know a couple of you, and but most of you, you know, we were born and then and somehow we ended up here in this moment now and we can be aware of it right we can be aware of the whole trajectory of the different various parts of our life that brought us here now and so the buddha is telling his friend friends he says bhikkhus practitioners i lived in refinement utmost refinement total refinement my parents even had lotus ponds made for our palace where red lotuses bloomed, one where white lotuses bloomed, one where blue lotuses bloomed, all for my sake. A white sunshade was held over my head day and night. An umbrella was held over his head day and night to protect him from cold, heat, dust, dirt, dew. And he had three palaces, one for the cold season, one for the hot season, one for the rainy season. season. And during the four months of the rainy season, I was entertained in the rainy season palace by minstrels without a single man among them. And I did not once come down from the palace, right? So he's living the good life, very hedonistic life, 
you know, in a heterocentric world or description, right, of the Buddhas, right? And then he goes on to say, even though I was endowed with such good fortune, total refinement, it occurred to me when an untaught ordinary person themselves subject to aging, not beyond aging, sees another who's age, and they have a reaction. I'm adding the reaction in his mind, my word. Um, they um, uh, sees someone who is aged, that they are horrified, humiliated, disgusted, oblivious to themselves that they too are subject to aging. And if I, who am subject to aging, not beyond aging, were to be horrified, humiliated, and disgusted on seeing another person who is aged, that would not be fitting for me. And as I notice this, the typical or the young person's intoxication with light, with youth entirely dropped away. And so this is just one of my favorite passages and it goes on because he's first talking about um, seeing someone who's age and then um, seeing someone who's ill and seeing death and having those reactions to it and not seeing that, that it would not be fitting what he says it would not be fitting to have those reactions, meaning it would not make sense because it's just normal that people get older and people get ill and that people die. That's part of the deal that all of you know, but we often don't know it in our bones. We know it conceptually. We don't live it experientially, the truth of impermanence, the truth of change, the truth of temporality of human life. And the beauty of the fact that we're alive right now, because even that's quite magical, right? Because nobody knows how long they're gonna live, none of us. And, and, and we all think we're gonna live forever. Or even if we don't think it consciously, often unconsciously, we believe it. We don't really think I'm gonna die. Oh yeah, all those other people are gonna die, but and, but we don't even think of it. It's just, it's a kind of um, unconscious delusion that we're going to live forever. And it's talked about in the uh, Bhagavad Gita. They say, yeah, what's the greatest miracle? The greatest miracle is uh, everybody, around, uh, everybody thinks they're going to live forever, even though people are dying all around them. Right, and it's just it's just part of the deal. It's something. It's part of our survival instinct as human beings, and it's important to have that instinct and to let it function, but also to understand that it's an instinct of the physical body that we have, and it's true. All animals want to live and scramble to live, work hard to live. Well, you know, they fear death. And, and of course, we're going to have that instinctually because we have a body and we're anim we are animals. But in fact, we can be aware of it instead of being identified with the instinct. And we can let the instinct start to work in the function of there's a survival instinct, there's a 
self self-preservation instinct there's social instinct there's a sexual instinct and then there's what we call the the instinct to wake up the enlightenment instinct right which also brings all of you here that instinct that you that somewhere in you you know there's more potential for who and what we are as human beings and we can we can discover it right here now no matter what age we are no matter how long we have to live it's still all the the buddha dharma is sitting right here you know the essence of reality is right here right and so so in his in his talk he says right about illness old uh those who are aged ill and and dead that the um he says the intoxication with youth with health and with life entirely fell away and that's part of the freedom of the that led him to awakening that was the that was the nourishment that that's an alternative mythology to the heavenly messengers version where he goes out in the world but when he just sees that he's having a misunderstanding of the truth and he starts to see the truth means oh of course he will get older and he will get ill and he will die and that and that intoxication with the fan fantasy or the delusion falls away and i was i was uh looking at uh you know i buy a sunday paper cuz i like papers cuz i'm old um and they have a little magazine in them i don't know if you can see yeah you can see this prayed magazine and it says we remember right and it has pictures on it even and then inside it has all these people who died in 2020 and and i just you know and even in the picture there's a uh, actor uh, Chadwick Boseman who was black panther who's just a lovely great actor and uh um uh died at 42 or Ruth Bader Ginsburg the great supreme court justice who died at 87 or uh little richard who died who i love little richard i don't i didn't get the age of little richard or the tragedy of kobe bryant and his daughter giana right and kobe was 41 like i think of kobe as a i can't even th- it's again from my age he seems really young when i think 41 he died cuz he seemed to be around my whole life kobe bryant so i think of him as older than that but actually he was 41 his daughter was 13 right and of course the great congressman john lewis died at 80 and also uh zinzi Mandela Nelson Mandela's youngest daughter died at 56 and Olivia de Havilland how many people know who Olivia de Havilland is okay good there's a few you know old people or semi old people there who know she was uh she was the last star of gone with the wind to die she was 104 which is pretty impressive age 104 and of course none of us know when we're going to live or die we some of us may live to 104 110 or who knows 
And some of us may die tomorrow. That's just part of the deal, right? That's just part of what it is to be human. It's not a mistake. So I call the talk normal, normalizing death. And it's because, because death is normal for human beings. And I've had a, a, not a lot, but some experience with death, both learning about it and also studying it as a Buddhist. And of course, in 2017, it said 150,000 people die each day. Uh, and this is before COVID-19, 150,000 people die each day in the world, right? That's a, that's a lot of people who die each day, right? Or, or they say 1.8 humans die every second, but 4.2 humans are born, right? So we're expanding even though we're, a lot of people are dying. Or today, to put it in other numbers, you know, there were, there were 294,000 uh, births today and 123,000 deaths. And it's just wild that that's just part of the, that's a normal part of the deal of being alive. So you don't have to take it personally when you die. By that, I don't mean it's not personal, it's personal, right? Like, you know, I'm not in a rush to die. I've already had my little near-death experience. I'm not interested in dying, you know, and I am also very uh, relaxed about dying, both, because it's just gonna happen. And I've had enough that enough of that close call uh, to, to just see, you know, who knows what happens after we die. I don't know. And I'm open to seeing because, and it's one reason, and I say this whenever I teach it, so that's why the Dharma is so good because we want to be there when we die. We don't want to uh, not be there. The more we're there, the more we'll see what actually happens. And by we see, it's not that we'll see in the normal way, even at least in the near-death experience I had, it was so unnormal what happened and so wild and good. And, you know, who knows? I don't know that it's going to be that way next time or when I do die, when I physically die. I, but we'll see. And if nothing happens, we'll see that because there'll be nothing left to see. <laughs> and, and, you know, at least in the Buddhist uh, cosmology, there's death and rebirth, right, as part of the scenario. And let's see what happens. And many of us, maybe some of you, have had um, uh, uh, memories or the understanding of who you were in other lives. And I have my own intuition about that, but I don't know for sure if it's true, but we'll see, you know, we'll see next time what happens if, I, if I'm reborn. Believe me, I'll try and come back and at least teach one night at San Francisco Insight. And, you know, if you have the right technology, I'll, I'll join, okay? That's up to you, Fahad, okay? <laughs> uh, 
So, and in Buddhism, of course, death is just part of the practice. It's part of the practice. Um, and as Thich Nhat Hanh says, so meaning Maranasati, mindfulness of death is in the first foundation of mindfulness, which is about the body. And they take you through all these different teachings about how to be mindful of death and how to be mindful of what happens to this body after it dies. So it supports our waking up while we're here and now, while we're present, while we're, uh, while we're still in the world because this is our time to wake up and we'll see if the, if the time continues after we die. I don't know, uh, I'm, I'm open to that being possible, but let's see. Mm. Um, so what else? The first foundation of mindfulness, different stages of death as the body decompensates or, or in, in the charnel ground, you go sit with dead bodies and watch what happens one, three, one day, three day, five days, seven days, 10 days, a week, two weeks, uh, a month, three months, a year. And you watch the disintegration of the body and the whole practice is very simple. Whatever stage that the body is, is uh, in its decomposition, you just see, oh, someday my body too will be like that body. It's just, it's just normal. That's what happens to bodies. Whether you leave them outside or even underground, they, they, they don't stay the same, even if they've been embalmed. Uh, I don't think they, they stay embalmed forever, right? They still decompose. And Thich Nhat Hanh talks about it. He said, the intention of this practice is not to make us weary of life, but to help us see how precious life is. Not to make us pessimistic, but help us see the impermanent nature of life so we do not waste our life's life. When we see the impermanent nature of things, we appreciate their true value. And that's just true of everything because everything is impermanent. It's the key teaching. The Buddha said, if you get this one teaching, you get you, the whole Dharma is in this one teaching, the truth of impermanence. And it's right here and it's right here everywhere. It's not just in our bodies dying, it's in whatever we have. I really like things, you know, and I like to keep things and especially I see, I came from a very, um, from parents who were very poor, especially my mother. And so my mother saved everything. You didn't throw things away. If you're really poor, you don't throw things away. You can use them later for something. And so she, she kept everything. I mean, and we had a basement. And so she would keep all this shit in the basement. And it was like, and I never understood why she kept everything until later when I realized how poor she was as a kid, you know, like shoes with no, with big holes in them and, you know, only hat uh, clothes that were handed down and things like that. And, and, um, and being made fun of as a little girl because she had, old, everything was old that she wore. Uh, so even in school being made fun of in that way. And um, 
And, and it's just, and so I see, I have my own little heritage of that as I think like I still have my grandmother's, yeah, it must be my grandmother's um, spatula, some spatula my mother had kept, you know, which is like, I look at it, I think, I don't need this. You know, we've got a new spatula, right? That my wife bought, you know, do I need, but it's like, oh, it's like you don't throw things away if they're usable, if they're workable. And it's really, and it's, and it's a good thing. But even that spatula is going to die. It won't last forever. And, and it's true of everything. I mean, I can, you know, like, I like my cups these days, really nice cup. And, you know, as um, I think it was uh, Jen Chow said it, you know, yeah, this cup is beautiful and I love it, but I love it because I know it's already gone. It won't last forever, this cup. You know, it's good, it's good here now, but. And so seeing something about the reality of the world also helps us wake up to how to live in it. And this is from the writer, Toni Morrison. She said, I know the world is bruised and bleeding, though it is important not, and though, and though it is important not to ignore its pain, it is also critical to refuse to succumb to its malevolence. Like failure, chaos contains information that can lead to knowledge, even wisdom. It's a great quote from Toni Morrison. I know the world is bruised and bleeding, and though it is, and though it is important not to ignore its pain, it is also critical. Excuse me, I want to read it well. I know the world is bruised and bleeding, and though it is important not to ignore its pain, it is critical to refuse to succumb to its malevolence. Like failure, chaos contains information that can lead to knowledge, even wisdom. This is precisely the time when artists go to work. And of course, she was an artist, a writer. There is no time for despair, no place for self-pity, no need for silence, no room for fear. We speak, we write, we do language, we create art. That is how civilizations heal. And what you hear is her heartfulness because she loves art and she loves words and she loves writing. And it's her gift to the world. It's her dana to the world, to a world that needs healing and the world that we're part of, that we feel the pain of, and we also know it needs healing. And so our own gift is something we can consider when we start to be mindful of maranasati, mindfulness of death. And of course, the other piece that I always want to say when I'm talking about Buddhism and Maranasati is, this is from uh, Nana Taloka Bhikkhu. He, he said, I'm going to quote him. He said, in addition to death in the conventional sense, Buddhism in Buddhism, Marana refers to the rising and passing away of all phenomena. This moment, even mental and physical phenomena, this momentariness of existence, excuse me, the momentariness of existence is described in the Vasudhi Maga, which is a great uh, template in Buddhism, a great um, book of uh, commentaries. 
And, and it said, in the highest sense, beings have only a very short instant to live as a wagon wheel when rolling, as well as, as when it stands still at any time, rests on a single point of its rim, you know, as if this is a wagon wheel, right? Or here, let me give you a better looking wagon wheel here, like this, right? And any, it only rests at one point at any time, right? And so uh, as a wagon wheel, when rolling as well as when standing still at any time rests on a single point of its rim, just so the life of beings endures only for the length of a single moment of consciousness. This is a great teaching because this is true. Everything that's come before is not here. Everything that's gonna come is not here. There's just, you're here, I'm here. This moment of consciousness is what's alive in this moment. And it's magical that that's how simple reality is at one level. It doesn't deny what we have to do or what we've done or our memories. We're not denying that. But actually, if we can come into the aliveness that's sitting here conscious at this moment, that starts to flower. That starts to wake us up. And he, it continues. Um, yeah, so, so the life of being endures for only the length of a single moment of consciousness. When this is extinguished, so also is the being extinguished. For it is said, the being of the last moment of consciousness lived, now lives no longer and will not also not live again later. The being of the future moment of consciousness has not lived yet now also does not yet live and will only live later. The being of the present moment of consciousness did not live previously, lives just now, but will not live more. This is a trans translated by Nana Taloka. And so it's a beautiful teaching of just to relax into this moment, because whatever you're upset about, whatever is difficult, you can still start to just soften into this moment if you're okay. If you, because, and I believe probably most of you are okay right now in this moment. And then feel the feel what's here, what's alive, what's okay in this moment, because that's what the Dharma is pointing at. And then, of course, I have pages more of stuff to talk about, about death. Hmm. about if I give you a nice Buddhist quote from the Dhammapada, which is a book of poetry in Buddhism, the Dhammapada, early, one of the earliest books of Buddhism. It says, when those who are wise dwell in contemplation of the transient nature of body and mind, I would add body, heart, and mind, and of all conditioned things, nope, 
I'm not reading it right. I'll see it again. When those who are wise dwell in contemplation on the transient nature of body, heart, and mind, and of all conditioned experience, they experience joy and delight seeing through to the inherently secure. When those who are wise dwell in contemplation on the transient nature of reality and of all conditioned existence, they experience joy and delight seeing through to the inherent secure. And what that means to me is that when we relax into just this moment, because that's all there actually is really at a certain level of reality, there's just this moment uh, we can begin to enjoy the magic and goodness of being here, of being alive, of even seeing one another on Zoom during this crazy forever COVID-19 catastrophe, right? That's killed something, 400,000 people in America alone, in the United States. Yeah, horrible. That we can begin to relax and and um, rest in something inherently secure, which is the essence of who and what we are, the, the, that we're a manifestation of Buddha nature, of reality, of the truth, of the Dharma. So those are a few of my thoughts here tonight. Um, and I'd like to hear from you, any of your thoughts, agreements, disagreements, opinions, uh, liking, not liking what I had to say, please use the raise hand button and raise your hand. You can go on most, um, on, on most Zooms, you go to the reactions button down at the bottom of your Zoom. Some people uh, depend, you go to participants and there's a hand raise button too and you push that. And if you raise your hand, I'll see it. It's much harder to see it uh, on the boxes. So please raise your hand, even if you think you shouldn't raise your hand, raise it anyways. And uh, of course, I always love to hear from people who haven't spoken. And I'm always happy to hear from people who have spoken, but it's just nicer to keep getting more voices in the room. And Ben, you've never spoken here before, so it's nice to have you finally speaking. <laughs> um, sorry, I can't show, show my face. I look a little messy, but um, which is okay. Um, I just led a meditation and I came late. Um, a Buddhist meditation. Uh -huh. And it was for someone who passed, a friend, uh -huh. and a friend's wife as well. Mm -hmm. And the meditation I led, the origin of it is with a, a, a monk named Bhante Dharmawara, Bhante Vira Mahatera Dharmawara, um, originally from Cambodia, who during the last quarter of his life lived in this country and was a teacher of mine. Um, and when you first, anyway, uh, I won't go into the format, but so what do you say then? At his funeral, 
many years ago, uh, I uh, afterwards I was tasked with driving a gentleman, a Cambodian gentleman, to the airport. He's from Minnesota, and we were chatting, and all of a sudden I heard in the center of my chest, I will always be with you. And I started crying as I was driving. Because I, I was, I traveled with Bunte, I was close with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, for many years, when he first met me, he looked at me and he said, oh, you are a meditator. <laughs> what, but, what was it about him, uh, about knowing that he would always be with you? Is that what you want to point at, Ben? Well, no, what I want to point at, and this is not the first time this kind of experience has occurred with after someone has passed, uh -huh. sitting with a body, uh, all of a sudden, uh, my friend whose body I was sitting next to uh, was communicating with me uh -huh. in the same spot. Um, and so I guess what I'm pointing towards is that death is not what we think it is. That's true. No matter what we think it is, it's yeah. not. It is. Yeah. And um, that's good to bring into the room. And it's also good to bring in some people seem to be able to have contact with people who've died. And that's not um, weird, at least in my world, that's not weird. And not everybody has contact with people who've died, but some people do. And it sounds like you have that capacity. And that's important. And the most important thing I can say is we can all have contact with people we die who've died, whether we know it or not. And so if you have someone who's died that you care about, send them metta. Give them yes. send your love because your love is way more powerful than any of us can imagine, in my opinion. And and. And, and it's taught in Buddhism over and over again about loving kindness and the, and the power of loving kindness, not just even to love people or love oneself, but to awaken and also to have an impact on the world. And the world needs our loving kindness. So 100%, 100%. And, and the, those that have passed don't always communicate with words like in those examples. I, I had... A connection with my father two weeks after he passed and it wasn't in words it was in feelings mm -hmm. um, but it was clear his presence the energy of his presence was right in front of me yeah um, Great. so that's okay. that's all sounds good thanks let me go to tamas hi eugene good to see you hi I'm noticing the skeleton right behind you. Yes. Um, and it uh, reminds me, I was in a monastery in Thailand maybe 15 years ago. And at the, the front of the meditation hall, there was a skeleton in a glass case. Yeah. And it was, it's kind of chilling to, you know, be meditating. <laughs> really sacred place and then like right in front of your face is this skeleton 
it 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 uh, really brought me into the here and now. So I'm wondering, who is that skeleton? Is it? Uh, do you know who the person was, or behind you? Uh, it's private. No, I'm kidding. I'm sorry. I shouldn't joke. Um, no, it's no, it's a skeleton, <laughs> and it's um, and somebody somebody just asked me. Oh, what's the name of that skeleton? What's the name? And I said, oh, it's skeleton is the name of that skeleton. So, um, and really it's in the same spirit as what was in the um, uh, meditation hall. It's a reminder of what's true, both two ways. One is that we die, right? Because that it's a, it's symbolic of death, the skeleton here. Let me let it get a good look at it. Um, uh, but also, it's I got it because one of the meditations I do from Bhikkhu Analyo, you go through the body and you're scanning the body in different parts of the body. Maybe I'll teach this all one week. It's a great practice. You go through the body, scanning the skin, right, and all the different parts of the body, and then you come up scanning the flesh, all the different parts of the body, and then you come down scanning the bones. Because it's all, that, that skeleton is good. There's even a better one right here and right where you're sitting. And you can feel it right now. You can sense, feel the skeleton. And that's one of the meditations I do is that I go through my body and I sense the skeleton. And then I sense all three together, skeleton, flesh, skin, and then it's more to the meditation. It goes into the elements and then it goes, and if, and then it finally goes to the breath and the body breathing, but that's how you get to the body breathing in, in the way that um, Venerable Analyo teaches that I like very much. And so, um, so that's why I got a skeleton. And then I thought, oh, I should just have it in here because, you know, well, so we all can see it. Yeah, so we all can see it. Yeah, so, okay. Thank you. Happy. Hi, Happy. Hi, Eugene. Hi, there you are. Yep. Yeah, I think in today's meditation, um, I've noticed, or like also this, this teaching about like being here now, Mm -hmm. um i noticed that today there's a lot of anger coming up for me like mm -hmm. this anger of like oh i did something wrong or like why do i have to deal with the situation that i'm in like mm -hmm. i'm curious about what was this the dharma say about like how do we deal with anger or like maybe is there any learning we can get from anger lots anger is great don't have any judgment about your anger. <laughs> really? But feel the energy of the anger because it's a fierce, vajra, sword-like energy and you want that energy. Mm. Feel the energy. Don't, don't just be um, uh, enchanted by the uh, story. Okay. Whatever, whatever the story is, that's the story and you're angry about it, but feel the energy because that's where the life is, even in that story. And then as you sense the, the energy, let the energy, let it rip. 
meaning don't do anything, don't go shoot anybody or anything <laughs> mad at, but, but really feel the energy or the fierceness or the sword-like energy, because that can really cut through a lot of de delusion, whether it's your delusion it, and yeah, your own delusion, it'll cut through. And then you'll see whatever is happening, the more you actually understand what happened, the less anger there might be, but you might have fierceness or toughness if it's needed, or you might have a fierce kindness if that's what's needed. Mm. Even if that anger is towards myself. No, that's oh. not wrong. And okay. I, if you're, you're angry at yourself, then it's judgment. And judgment uh. is not helpful. Mm. Maybe it's not helpful because it's not true. Mm. Judgment uses uh, a certain... I judge myself because I think it's true, or I think there's something wrong with me that I didn't do something right, quote. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, if I didn't do something that's right, it's because I didn't know how to do something right. Mm. Or I didn't know it was right when I did it. So seeing the causes and conditions brings more understanding and kindness instead of anger at myself. Mm. The anger is okay. helpful. Fierceness is helpful at times. The energy is good energy. The, the judgment, nope, not allowed. That's the one thing I don't allow in my teaching. Everything else you can have, but not self-judgment. You can have regret, which is different than judgment. Because mm. we all yes. make mistakes. Uh-huh. I don't know. I guess I don't. It's, I mean, right now, I think I can feel maybe. I, can, I can't really tell apart whether it's self-judgment or regret. Because I think I felt both during you, the meditation. They may be conflated. Mm. Yeah, they may be conflated. And then you want to get rid of the judgment and just feel the regret, which is usually as... I believe it was no it was Suzuki Roshi. He said, he said the one the best precept is I'm sorry. Mm. That's all. It's because we all make mistakes and we all have some regret about our mistakes. But the judgment is an attack on ourselves, is a demeaning of ourselves, is a hostility towards ourselves. That's what judgment is. Regret is not hostility. Mm, got it. Got yeah, it. I guess. You got it. I guess. I think the feeling is more self-judgment. Then, so yeah. to work with that self-judgment. Yeah. Is it just to be kind or no. like? No, be fierce. Right. Tell it to get the fuck out of here. Okay. <laughs> Use the aggressive energy in your self-defense. Mm. Your aggressive energy is being used against you. Yeah. Yeah, and that's fuck no, not okay. allowed. Get out of here. And you don't have to be rational, you have to be fierce. Mm. Okay. Okay. And if you want a good book, mm -hmm. there's one, the one I know is from The Diamond Approach, and mm. it's 
Soul Without Shame. Soul S Without Shame. Yeah, S-O-U-L by Byron Brown. Really good. And a lot of ways to start um, disidentifying or decathecting from the superego, the judging mind. Mm. And it has, it has a function when we're younger, but mm. it's not, it doesn't, at a certain point, no, doesn't work. Mm. Okay, let me write it down. He says, so without, what, what is it? Without shame. Okay, great. So without shame. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay. See you next somewhere. Not next week. I won't be here next week. Okay. Clint. How are you, Clint? I can't hear you, Clint. You got on mute. I know we, we're transmitting. Yeah, 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 okay. Sorry, I forgot about that. Yeah, it's good to see you, Eugene, and I really enjoyed your talk. Um, about treating the, the superego, I'm, I'm involved in a therapy, IFS, Internal Family Systems, where they, they say they're, all you're feeling, they're just, I mean, don't take it too literally, but there's just all these different people inside of you. And sometimes they agree with each other in our harmony. Sometimes they conflict with each other. And the whole idea of the therapy is to identify those people and try to have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I, I have a very intense superego. Yeah. I'm sure there's no, no, no news to you. And um, I was thinking, okay, there's this voice that's attacking me. Is this just another piece of me? This piece that never grew out of the pain that I had in an earlier day, that never grew out of the shame? Yeah, no, and, that's a really good way to understand it because that's how we metabolize certain things that happen is we agree with them. If my dad yells at me and I agree with him, then I'm still close with my dad, right? If my mother, you know, berated me all the time and I agreed with her and I think she's right, she's right, she's right, then I don't lose my mother. If at some point I say to my superego, which is the incalcul, no, that's not the right word, in, in, uh, uh, the ingested, I'm trying to say it, that I brought in my mother's image and voice and tenor and that whole feeling, if, and I'm yelling at myself like my mom, then I'm never, I've never left my mom. My mom's still here. And that's a very normal psychological way to stay close to one's parents, right? Because the ego needs that. The ego is not uh, okay on its own. Well, because I was just, I, I, I know Diamond Hearts and you say that, shout it, fuck off. Yeah, that's and, just one way. Right, but let, let me just finish. Um, I was trying to like just have a conversation with it. I'm like saying, you're coming from a very hurt place and you're lashing out because you have this pain inside. And I'm talking to this voice. You don't have to take it out on me. It's just, just right. I just see that you don't have to do this. I want to give context for what you're saying, Clint. Clint's describing a certain kind of gestalt exercise that can be very helpful, where you play the role of the one who's being yelled at and, the, and you talk to the one who's yelling. That's, that's 
how I'm understanding what you're saying. And that can be very helpful to begin to unhook one from the identification from, from both actually. Yeah. Okay. Cause I mean, it, it had like kind of mixed results. Uh, <laughs> I, I, yeah. You gotta just do it and see what happens. Yeah. Uh, okay, because I mean, it is just another part of me. Is it? Is an angry, hurt part of me that's uh, lashing out? Right. And maybe if I see it not with tell the fuck off, maybe if I see it with compassion, yeah, that might but, turn it around. So even, I'm not wildly the, optimistic about that. Even the fuck off is a is a fierce compassion. Yeah, really, there's something compassion because we just see it's not true. Right, and it's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, thank okay. you, Eugene. Sure. Anybody else tonight? Anything about the talk, life practice, or should we end? I have one. I lead, yeah, I see you. I have one um, short little story. I, I was walking today with a friend and this is like Maranasati related. So that's why I was gonna mention it. And about five years ago, she was at a cycling center and someone died. Someone had a heart attack mm -hmm. and she resuscitated him mm -hmm. and she brought him back to life and he gave her a crystal heart. Mm -hmm. And then every year on his birthday, she, he sends her a thank you card mm. and I just thought like what a beautiful mm. act of generosity and like total Varanasati that mm. every instead of thinking about oh it's my birthday he's thinking of like oh I'm alive and okay. so mm. I thought it was just really beautiful to share that yeah no great I mean it's true if and you know if any of us have had those kind of experiences even anywhere near death, there's always that appreciation of life and, and it's good to be alive. And even, and this is for everybody, even if you haven't had those kind of experience, it's still good to be alive, even though life can be very difficult at times. It's still, it's still life and it won't always be here. So I'm gonna stop with that. Thank you, Eileen. And let's just sit for a minute as we end. Taking a moment to appreciate our good fortune that we're alive and here to share the Dharma. And that we have this opportunity to keep exploring, looking, learning, waking up moment by moment by moment, discovering the truth, discovering the Dharma and sending our good fortune in every direction to touch beings in every realm, in every world. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings be free from suffering, free from dukkha, free from misunderstanding the truth, the Dharma. May we all awaken together. May we wake up in 
liberate the whole world so that all beings in this world and every world are free. Just a little reminder, it's great if you have the, the good fortune to offer some dana to SFI. The dana link is in the chat box, so please appreciate your generosity. Thank you for it. And uh, again, uh, Devin Hase will be here next week. I'll be here in, I believe, two weeks. Yeah, I believe that's right. And uh, yeah, stay healthy. Do whatever you need to stay healthy. I've been told I shouldn't say take the vaccine because some people are against vaccines. And so it's not PC to say take the vaccine, which is what I usually say. Whenever you can get the vaccine, if it's PC, if it's okay for you, take it. If it's not okay, don't take it. But I'm going to take it if I ever get it. So anyhow, stay healthy, everybody. Be, be well. Thank you. Thanks, Eugene. Good Thank to see you. Thanks, Eugene. Blessings, everyone. Blessings. Thank you. Good night. Be well and happy. Thanks, Eugene. Thank you. Be well. Very helpful. Thank you. I had my first vaccine shot. But I think you should, though. Bye. Bye, Allison. Bye, Take care. Thank you. Hi, Stephanie and everybody. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's so good to see your faces. Wonderful. Yeah. Bye. Be well. You too. Hi, Fahad. Hi, Nina Gold. Hi, Happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.